0: So my hope today is to offer you a robust intellectual and emotional answer to the questions our kids have for us. Because I think my proposal today is that the problem of pain is not a Christian problem. It's a human problem. The Christians don't have to answer this. The atheist has to answer this. The agnostic has to answer this. The Buddhist has We all experience pain and agony. So the question is not, how does Christianity answer? This is all of our problem. What are all the different answers from all the different philosophies and religions, and which one intellectually satisfies, and which one emotionally satisfies? And Christianity explains why evil and suffering and pain occurs, and even better, how it will one day be fixed. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week, talking about God, and it's going to frame our discussion in hopes that you're going to really see how Christianity uniquely is different from every other religion philosophy in answering the problem of pain. All right, we'll start with question number one, a little bit about who God is, and we'll jump in together. Hi, my name is Bryson, and I want to know what God did before he made earth. Yeah, what did God do before he made earth, you know? He got bored after a while. He's been laying around. You can only watch so much TV. You, know. you can only make so much angel food cake and you got to have something else to do, right? What did God do? And I think for many of us, we just think we can't even comprehend it. And heaven's been described to us as a boring place where you're sitting on clouds strumming a harp. That sounds fun for well, not even a minute. That, that just sounds lame, right? That sounds horrible. So what did God do before time? Now, if you asked a Greek this question, He would say, there were titans before the gods, and they were punching each other and fighting each other. It was chaos and anger and and pain everywhere. And a lot of religions describe that before the creation of our world, it was anger and turmoil everywhere. Now, the Bible describes something very, very different. And it would be like, imagine if you drew a picture, and you created your own little world, or maybe your kids or grandkids did. And they create this universe, and you, you write You draw somebody in your own image. The problem is they're two-dimensional. And as far as they're concerned, they can't imagine three-dimensional space. They can't imagine a world outside of their own. They can't imagine what happened prior to them existing. And you as a three-dimensional being are going to try and explain, there's a lot going on out here. In fact, there's a lot more going on out here than there is in there. Your reality is part of my reality, but oh my goodness, I've got joy, I've got fun, I've got a car, I like to water ski, I like to jet ski, I like to downhill ski, whatever you, your hobbies are. It would be hard for you as a three-dimensional being to describe to a two-dimensional being that had a beginning just all the stuff that goes on around there, wouldn't it? Well, the Bible has the same challenge, because though we are three-dimensional beings, God is at least four, in the sense that he's outside of time and space. So, at the very beginning of the Bible, the ver- very first verse, the grammar is already struggling to communicate. It says, In the beginning, Elohim, which is a plural word for God. In the beginning, God's. And then the next verb is singular, created the heavens and earth. It would be like me saying today, We is. We is. No, it's He is, or She is, or We are. At the very beginning, God is trying to say, I'm a multidimensional being that's three in one, a father, a son, and Holy Spirit. But don't think I'm three different. It's singular, is, I created the heavens and the earth. Now, why is that significant? Well, in every other religion, most religions, the gods are evil, the gods are mad, they're punching each other, very insecure. (laughs) The God of the Bible is incredibly loving and peaceful, the joyous being in the universe And because he is love, he has someone to love. The father loves the son. The son loves the father. They they celebrate each other. They love one another. They defer to one another. Now, other gods, even Judaism's God or Islam's God, is totally different from the Christian God. In fact, Allah or Jehovah, without understanding the Trinity, can't love until he creates somebody. Who are you going to love? There's nobody around. So you had to create somebody in order to be able to be God. Because until you had somebody, you couldn't do what you were meant to do, which is love. But the God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before time, he could love one another. He could celebrate one another. He was three in one. And Jesus alludes to this idea. As Jesus says, it says in the Bible that the three that give testimony in heaven are the Father, the Word, another name for Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And Jesus, before he died on the cross, he turned to his disciples and said, God, let me tell you what I hope you can experience. I pray that you would know some things. That the world may know that you have sent me. God, that you sent me here to earth. And that you have loved them. You've loved every person I talk to the same way you loved me. Because before the foundation of the earth, Father, you loved me. Man, you know what was going on before? We were in the happiest, joyful, loving, deferring, other-centered place in the world. And out of that, we said, we got to share this. This is so good. This is so awesome. We need to expand the family by creating mankind to enjoy the joy that we have. But again, it's kind of like your kids, right? Your kids can't imagine that prior to you having them, you had a life, Right? (laughs) They can't imagine dad had hair, they can't imagine you guys had fun, they can't imagine you were once a cheerleader, it's just foreign to them, right, because their life has a point. It's like years ago, about 15 years ago, my wife and I were in San Diego, and we saw that Disneyland was nearby. We'd never been to Disneyland, We'd been to Disney World, so we go to Disneyland, kids are staying with grandma and grandpa, we're at Disneyland, we're hitting the rides, nobody's there, we didn't go through the whole park in half a day, we call the kids up, hey, how are things going in Cincinnati? Good. We're hanging out with Grandma and Grandpa. Ah, oh, nice. You know where Mom and Dad are? Where? Disney! Ha 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 ha. Ter- that's why you don't want me as a parent. Ha ha. They're like no way. You're at Disney? What'd you go to Disney for? Why would you go to Disney without us? Because Mom and I had fun before you. Mom and I, Dad, have fun with you. Someday you'll be gone, and Mom and Dad will still continue to enjoy their relationship. And we leave you behind occasionally to remind ourselves how much we love you. Right? That's how parenting works. In the same way, God was fully joyful, fully loving, fully happy, in his perfect creation that he made. That's what he did before the beginning of the world. And it's helpful to understand that. It's very distinct from all the other philosophies or worldviews before we get to question number two. So, let's move on. What's the second question we have today? Hi, my name is Cole, and if God loves us, why do you let COVID happen? Man, that took a turn, didn't it? Why are there black plagues? Why is there sickness? Why is there COVID? Now COVID, I'm convinced is because the plexiglass companies need to sell some plexiglass. So that I think we can all answer there. But in all seriousness, this has been a serious problem, sickness, pain, and agony that people have wrestled with for years. So let me start with what the Bible describes is that God has a series of three worlds. He made an original world that had no pain, no agony, no sickness, no hurricanes, no Alzheimer's. And if you ask, if you you think to yourself, you say, why do we think there should be a world without pain or cancer or disease or plague? It's certainly not from observing human history. It's always been part of the equation. Yet through every culture and every time and every place, there's been a universal thought that there should be, there ought to be a world without sickness and pain and COVID. Why has everybody come up with that idea? It's almost like there's an echo, an imprint of an original creation that we were made for that still sits on us. And God said he made an original creation with no pain, no agony, no sickness. And the echo of that is still, if not in your mind, in your heart, which is why you imagine it shouldn't be this way. And the Bible says you're not crazy. That thought that parents shouldn't bury kids That thought that it shouldn't be this way is very rational. You are not made for a world with death and sickness. But currently, the world's been broken. It's been maligned. It's out of sync. Something happened in the past. The Bible says death was entered into the world, and it affected everything, the creation itself. It affected our relationships with one another. And God, seeing that brokenness, came and entered in. He knows what it's like to lose a cousin to a tragic death who was beheaded. He knows what it's like to experience hunger. He knows what it's like to experience pain. The God of the Bible tells you why evil's a problem because you were made for a different world and that world that you're living in now is currently broken, it's out of sync. But he also says that there's another world coming. He is going to come to this world and fix everything that's broken. When will evil be rewarded? Well, evil will be punished at the end of time, and God will right all wrongs. When will good be rewarded? There's a time coming. When will sickness be dealt away with? It will be fixed. Now, it's frustrating right now to say, not yet, not yet, not yet, but the Bible says, but it will happen. It's not yet, but there is a time there will be no more tears and no more sorrow. So one, it explains why there is a problem Two, it explains that there will be a solution, and in the meantime, God says, I entered in, I stepped into the arena to experience the pain with you, I can sympathize with you. Now, like I said, this isn't a Christian problem, this is a human problem. If you asked all the religious leaders or philosophical leaders, why is there COVID? Why is there sickness? Why is there pain? You'd have basically four answers. The answer would be, well, the reason there's sickness and COVID is because the gods are evil, and they sometimes are fickle, and they send sickness down to us. Another group would say, because the earth is evil. And the earth causes that with diseases and things. Another worldview or philosophy would say, because the universe is punishing you. It's called karma. You can't punish what you did in the last life or this life. And another worldview would say, because the earth is broken. So think about those choices. Which one of those resonates with your mind and your heart? Each one of those represents a different philosophy or religious answer to this question. The first is the Greeks. You want to to know why this COVID and why this disease? Because the the Titans are so insecure, and they built their whole life in, in not in love and harmony like the Christian God, in agony and punching each other in insecurity. Kronos was so insecure of his own son taking his reign, he ate all his kids. And thank goodness Zeus tricked him into eating a rock. And then years later, Zeus talked Kronos into drinking some syrup Epitaph, kind of, and he threw his kids back up. And that's why the, the universe is screwed up, because the gods are screwed up. Like, well, that's a crazy story. But that's how a Greek would answer your question. So, the answer is basically there's sickness because the gods are punishing you and the gods are evil. Something doesn't ring true to that. What's your next answer? It's Hinduism. The easiest way to understand Hinduism is Star Wars. There's a good side of the force and a dark side of the force. And God is both good and evil. So, God is equally in a hug and a kiss as he is in a rape and a murder, it's just the dark side of the force. The Bible rejects this idea that God's energy, it rejects the idea that God is evil. Evil is the absence of God. Very different from Hinduism or Pantheism. What's next? Well, the next worldview would be atheism. See, atheism's also got to address the idea of sickness and pain. And it would say, how does the world work through evolution? What is evolution but the survival of the fittest? If a virus or a sickness can be stronger than you, it's going to out-evolve you. So get used to it. There's always been sickness and pain. To quote Richard Dawkins, DNA neither knows nor cares, so dance to its music. Dance to its music? When you're sitting at the bedside of a loved one who's dying of cancer, does that intellectually satisfy your heart or your mind? If you turn to atheism and say, well, when's sickness going to be fixed? Never. Well, maybe when the universe blows up and everything's gone. When are the good going to be rewarded? Never. When is evil going to be punished? Never. See, evil and pain is not a Christian problem. It's a human problem. If you asked a Buddhist what's the cause of evil or pain, they would say it's suffering. Your human desire for attachment causes suffering. It's another version of karma. You're to blame for your suffering. If you didn't want it to be different, you wouldn't suffer so much. When you see a child who's died, is it intellectually and emotionally satisfying to say, well, I guess it's because of something you did in this life or the last, that's why the hurricane hit you? Or as frustrating as not yet is, does it explain why evil's a problem, why we want it to be different, and the hope we have that it one day will be different, and the fact that God came and lives in this world, and wanted to show us that there was a way that he was going to one day fix creation? Let's take our imaginations for a second. Have you ever noticed that every story, every movie you've ever loved has a certain theme? The idea that there once was a world that was one way, it's currently broken or under a curse or under a magic spell, and something needs to change it or bring it back? It's Narnia. There once was a world that was one way. But now it snows, but it's never Christmas. But Aslan will come, and he gives of his life, and ultimately he, he breaks the spell of the, of the witch, and now the world can be restored Maybe you're not an Arnia fan. How about Sleeping Beauty? Something's happened to our kingdom. A curse has come upon the kingdom. Thorns have grown up everywhere. And the beauty is sleeping until perfect love comes and kisses. Then everything gets transformed. Not just the woman, but the whole world gets reset to the way it's supposed to be. Beauty and the Beast. When someone discovers true love, selfless love, everyone gets transformed and beasts get turned back into princes. Little Mermaid, little, whatever those little squiggly things were that, uh, uh, that the octopus lady turned you into. But all of a sudden, when it gets cursed, everything gets transformed. It's the magic. Why do we love these stories? Why do we love these movies? Because it speaks to a deeper reality. Even if your mind can't grasp it, your heart and your imagination says, yes. Why, why, why is that music swelling up? Because I know the world shouldn't be this way. And I know it needs to be a different way. And something out there needs to fix what's broken in here. So the Christian view is very unique. It explains why evil is a problem. It's the absence of God, why the world is broken. It's currently out of sync with its master and that one day it will be fixed. Which moves us to question three. So question three is very similar to question two, but we'll kind of build on this idea. So let's see what our third question is here. Hi, my name is Addison and why are there bad sicknesses like cancer? My name is Julia. And I've broken lots of bones, my finger, my foot, my elbow. And I'm wondering why it happened. Yeah, so cancer, very similar to COVID. Why do we break bones? You know, my mom would say because (laughs) I was always doing dangerous things. So that's what my mom would say. But it's the same idea that we live in a reality and something's broken. We're not operating the way we originally did. But here's kind of how an intellectual would say it. God can't exist because... If there's a God, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving. And If he's all-knowing, he knows about evil. And if he's all-powerful, he should do something about evil. And if he's loving, he knows evil is wrong. Evil exists, therefore God does not exist. Very formidable argument. But flip it. If evil exists, it's powerful. It knows about the world because it's contaminating the world, and it could do something about it good exists. I've seen some good here or there. Since good exists, therefore evil must not exist because if it did, it would know about good, it would have the power to destroy good, and we'd want to destroy good. Well, that doesn't work, does it? There's something illogical about this, and to say God hasn't fixed it yet is different, right? It's one thing to say, if God never fix it, but what if God has a reason that we can't comprehend to say, I've got reasons why I'm letting things go for a while. You may not think it's worth the risk, but I do, to have a relationship, to have free choice. But I will in my love and power fix it, just not yet. Or think of it this way. If you walk around the earth today, you're going to find there's people with bad haircuts, right? And if you saw people with bad haircuts, or maybe people whose hair was so long it's never been cut, I could say to you, I've seen so many bad haircuts or bad hairdos, it is clear that there's no such thing as a barber. Right? And you'll hear atheists tell very emotional stories about all the horrible things, and no doubt, horrible things that this world and its brokenness has done. Okay, I agree. But evil and suffering, like a bad haircut, is a place we need God. We need a barber over there. We, we need some more barbering over there. We need some more comfort over there. We need some more healing over there. We need some more restoring over there. In the same way, bad haircuts don't prove there's no barber. The problem of evil doesn't say there's no God. It just says, I don't understand why he's chosen not to help here yet. Jesus' disciples were walking around one day and they saw this boy who was born blind and they were thinking like karma. Hey, you see this blind kid over here, Jesus? Who sinned? Because we know the only reason people suffer is because the gods are punishing them, or the universe is punishing them. Was it the boy who sinned or his parents who sinned? And Jesus just rejects that. Neither. It's neither the man nor his parents sinned. We live in a broken world, but the work of God can be demonstrated. You can see people care for people who are hurting offering help to those who are hurting, that the works of God can be done in the midst of this broken world. I I came to do the works of God, to help the needy, to help the poor, to help the sick, for I am the light of the world. What Jesus is saying is that God didn't cause sickness. It was caused by human choice, letting evil into the world. But God can use sickness, and he will eventually fix it. Now, it is so annoying that he hasn't done it yet. My father-in-law this week was in a car accident. He's right now fighting for his life. He's got a a concussion, not a concussion, he's got a a stroke on one side of his face, three breaks in his back, two breaks in his neck. He's got an artery that's clogged. If he moves the wrong way, he's going to be paralyzed. My wife's been at his bedside for the last four days. This is not a theoretical discussion for me. And yet I know, I hope he doesn't die, but if he does, I know God is fixed, is going to fix his body fully. But in the meantime, doctors and sisters and daughters are praying for him and talking to him and comforting him and being the light he needs in the darkness, knowing that God can use them in the midst of this and will eventually fix this at the end of time. I think for many of us, what wears us out is meaningless suffering, right? We don't mind meaningful suffering, right? We even say no pain, no gain. We don't mind if, hey, I'm working really hard to buffet my body to get it trained because I'm training for a marathon. That kind of pain we don't mind because it's meaningful. We can see the meaning behind it. The problem with this kind of stuff is it doesn't feel meaningful because we can't see it. And we can't imagine there could ever be meaning in it. And yet if you look close enough all through the world, you're going to see how much pain it sometimes takes to have someone hit rock bottom. If you've got any addict in your life, you're like, oh my goodness, surely they learned their lesson now. Oh, surely they, no. Oh! Sometimes it takes a level of pain and brokenness for somebody to finally see the error of their ways. And so you and I go, That looks seems like meaningless suffering. I had this one one this week, I was talking to a friend. He doesn't know his grandfather at all. His grandfather was abusive to his mom. His grandfather's never apologized. His father's a tyrant. Grandfather's a tyrant. He ends up in prison, didn't learn any humility, didn't learn anything from it. Just all this seemingly meaningless suffering. He told me about six months ago, there was a car accident that his grandfather was in. Horrific car accident. He didn't call the ambulance or police because he'd broken some law related to parole and didn't want the police involved. So he crawls himself out of the gully away from his car, crawls himself like a mile back to his house to heal. I'm like, talking about meaningless suffering. So I caught up with him this week. He said, you're not going to believe this. After all these years of selfishness, after all these years of cluelessness, after all these years that prison didn't teach him anything, he's going back to my home church, back in my home state. He's trying to restart a relationship with my mom, He's starting to own and apologize for things he's done. I, I don't even know this guy, but he actually got baptized at my church. And I'm actually kind of looking forward to maybe finally getting to know my grandfather. Now, I wouldn't wish that level of pain, but I'm telling you, sometimes what looks like meaningless pain is bringing somebody to the end of themselves because the human ego and the human pride is just so blind and intense. So the hope from God is even if you don't understand the pain in your life, even if you aren't responsible for the pain in your life, was happened by the drunk driver, happened by somebody else, God can use sickness and pain to grow you and form you and to, like Jesus did, bring light into a dark situation. Which I think is helpful because I think that's why I want to bring back the question from last week. So at the end of the service, one of you asked, like, if God knows what's going to happen, why do we pray? So this is question number four from last week. So question number four, uh, you can put up on the screen, yeah. If God knows everything and has it all worked out, then what's the point of praying or talking to him at all? Man, I felt that way. I got to say, I prayed for 10 years that my son would be potty trained. Like, I don't need something big. I just need my son with autism to be potty trained. Every night I prayed that prayer for 10 years. 10 years. I'm talking about Red Sea Crossing here. And he didn't answer it. And uh, Wow. Uh, I went through counseling for hypervigilance from all the challenges of, of that season in my life. And so God can change anything, but sometimes He doesn't. So I'll start with the reason we pray is because God will sometimes change circumstances. You talk to people here at our church, we'll talk about very specific things that they prayed about and God answered. I, you can also talk to people at our church who prayed for very good things and God didn't answer in the affirmative. So God can change things. In fact, the Bible says that God changes his mind. He knows what will happen, but he's willing to partner with you on how life happens. One time, some things going on with Israel, and God was going to go this route, A, and Moses says, no, let's not do that. Let's do this. Please remember your merciful God. Remember your kind God. It says God changed his mind about what he was going to do. Another translation says God relented from his plan. So God is shaped by our prayers, so, I think this question is more about well, if he's not going to do what I want, and if I did pray about it for 10 years and it didn't happen, what's the point of praying at all? And I gotta tell you, I know that feeling <laughs> firsthand. So, let me tell you why prayer helps you. The Bible's been saying this for 2,000 years, but science now validates exactly what it says. Prayer helps you, health benefits. Psychological benefits and spiritual benefits. So for years, I'd seen brain scans of people who, like our typical brain scan, just our brain is just firing up and down, up and down because of fight or flight. You know, I got a text here. What do I need to do? Up oh, the kids. I forgot to pick them up. You know, all these things. Your brain's just kind of in high activity all the time, or stressed. We don't calm down. And so I'd seen research that said ten minutes of prayer and meditation can bring you out of fight or flight, calm your mind, and brings health benefits. But I'd never done it myself. So I have a doctor in our church, uh, Jeremy and Carol, who come to our 945 equipping service. And I said, Hey, I know you do brain scans. Could you do this scan for me and see if this is really true before I share it? So sure enough, Carol went in and got her brain scanned. And here's what a, maybe a typical normal activity looks like. See all the colors? Those are your, all your brains thinking, firing up, moving, looking around for stuff. Under eight to ten minutes of prayer, And closing your eyes was key, because when you close your eyes, your brain's not thinking about so many things. We're just calming yourself down. God, I'm going to trust you're going to use this. God, I need your help here. I don't need to control the world. I'm going to trust you control the world. Whether you're dealing with worry or anxiety, alpha waves, which are the calming, mindful, mind-at-rest waves, they just start spiking up in every spot of the brain, and the brain begins to calm begins to deregulate. If you think about it, if I told you you were in a, in a car and I said, hey, um, why don't you enjoy the car ride from here to Columbus and just so you know, there's two wasps in the car. <laughs> right? And you can see one, but you're not sure where the other is. And so the whole time, you can feel your fight or flight up, right? Because you, you know there's a problem and you know there's going to be one. This is, how our, this is how we typically are stressed out in life. You know, where's the wasp and there's another one coming. Part of what prayer does, is it says, put down the phone, Put down the TV, minimum of eight minutes. Prayer can bring regulation to your soul, your mind, and your heart. We're going verse by verse through the book of Philippians in our equipping service. We started today, and we're looking very specifically how to develop a mindset of prayer to deal with anxiety and worry and bring calm. So, science shows, and Carol was interesting. she, She told me that when she was praying, she felt like God was giving her colors, God doesn't give me colors. But she said, it doesn't happen very often, but as she had her eyes closed, she felt like maybe a, there was a, a light blue tint. It kind of set the mood for how she was praying. That maybe it was a different color, and she kind of changed the mood of how she was praying. I thought that was interesting. Said, God doesn't lead me in prayer that way. I just, you know, I'm talking and, and sometimes just talking to myself and hoping he's listening. But it was interesting. She showed me the brain scan, a couple more we don't have up here, that her visual cortex section of her brain the part that typically only goes on when your eyes are open because it's the visual cortex, man, that thing was firing the whole time she was praying because something was going on in her brain related to colors as God was guiding her. It's pretty cool. All right, so that's question four. Why pray? Because even if it doesn't change the circumstance, it changes and works in us. Alright, last question of the day. Number five. Hi, my name is Riley. I was wondering if you die and like you died and you got like hurt or something, would you still be hurt in heaven? Like for example, if you like got your arm cut, <laughs> would you have like a new arm in heaven? She'd been watching Pirates of the Caribbean or something there, right? You got your arm cut off. Now this is, this is actually so powerful, not just because of something like did your arm get cut off, but the Bible offers a unique answer to this and it's incredibly hopeful. Paul writes it this way. He says, guys, I want to tell you a mystery. Here's the mystery. What happens at the end of time? When you die in the twinkling of an eye, you don't go to like some waiting room, twinkling of an eye to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when you do, and this is a verse you probably heard a hundred times at a funeral. Let me explain it to you because it seems real cryptic, but it's not. Here's what happens. Right now we have a mortal body. It's a corruptible body. And the older you are, the more mortal you realize it is. You got a new hip here. You got a new hip here. This doesn't work the way it was. I used to be able to do this, right? So he's saying... You currently have a corrupt body, it, it's fallen apart, and you have a mortal body. But when you go from this life to the next, here it says, you will be changed. And the corruptible, the body is falling apart, will become incorruptible, and your mortal body will become an immortal body. And Jesus demonstrates this on the cross. When he comes back in his resurrected body, he hugs people, he eats fish, he eats honeycomb. He shows this is a real body, but this body is incorruptible. It's immortal. He gave proof of these claims. Now practically, what does that mean? That means when I'm talking to somebody who's in hospice, who hasn't been able to eat for several weeks as they're facing their last days, the hope of Christianity is not just you're going to go into the next life with all of your limbs and all of your problems and all your Alzheimer's and all your sickness. The Egyptians thought that. Go look at one of the sarcophaguses of of one of the pharaohs. You know what's in there? Their canes and their glasses and their medicines. They thought you're going to the next life with all those problems. Jesus came and said, no, I'm fixing everything. So whatever's broken, whatever scars you have from a piece of sheet metal, from not listening to my dad one time and a trap door from my clubhouse and, and everything else you have in your story, Scar Wars, right? We all got Scar Wars. You can eat again. And grandpa will recognize you again. And you will see them and they will recognize you and there'll be no more pain and no more agony and no more sorrow. That is the hope of heaven. Even if you don't believe it, you see why you'd want it to be true? The world will be fixed and everything about you will be fixed. You will be in, you you will be a perfect specimen, not just here on earth, but the best version of yourself without doing things you don't want to do and saying things you don't want to say and friction between you and people you love. That's why Jesus came. So Peter says, Jesus came to bring us to God. One of my favorite stories is a little kid. And he's working really hard to build his own little sailboat. And he works for hours and hours, weeks and weeks, building the sailboat. And finally, he's got this made. It's got his own little imprint on it. He signed it. He brings it out to the lake, and he gives it a push. And the wind comes along. It works perfectly. It catches the wind. It starts sailing out. And it's going faster and faster. And pretty soon, it, he, he wades out and he can't quite get it. And the wind takes him. It's lost. It's beyond his reach. That which he made is far beyond where he can find it. And he's devastated that that which he made has been lost. Years later, he's walking through town in this antique store. And sure enough, my boat! He walks up to the, to the, to the owner and he says, hey, that's my boat. I made that. And he said, well, you may have made it, but... Sorry, I bought it from somebody. you got to buy this thing. How much? Oh, that much? So he goes back and he has an errand and he has an errand and he makes little pennies and nickels and quarters and after weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, he comes back and he buys his own boat. He comes out and he says these words. You're my boat. You're twice my boat. First, you're my boat because I made you. Second, you're my boat because I bought you. This is what the story of the Bible is. God made all of us, but we, like the world, have been lost, broken. And God was willing to come to earth to feel the pain and the agony of hatred and a a terrible trial and all the pain that we've experienced, being crucified on the cross, to pay the cost to buy us back to God. And God longs for you to receive that gift. Longs for you to put your hope that he will one day put you back together the way he put himself back together. He wants to say, you are mine. I made you. I'm your creator. But now will you allow me to be your heavenly father by I adopt you in my family? I think that's the answer to these questions today, is God wants you to reach out to the God who cares now that you're in pain because he's been in a world like this. No other gods have come into this world, or if it's a hinduism god's already here he's just the energy but he's in good and evil only a good god that came into a bad world would say reach out to this god he cares now whatever you're going through he's got strength for you comfort for you and hope for you he cares now but also he's going to fix it later so if you will draw near to god he will draw near to you now for many of us our life's going incredibly well right now we're not going through suffering and so we just say hey I'm just glad that as bad as this world is, there's a God who could answer these questions for other people, and that I can be part of helping people who are sick. I can be that light to those who are hurting or those who are going through trouble. I get to be part of that. Others of us, you might say, boy, Chad, I'm I'm with you. I feel like my prayers are bouncing off the wall right now, or I feel like I don't understand what's going on. I need that comfort, and I need that strength. So I want to lead you in a prayer. And if we just want to bow our heads, maybe you just want to say to God, God, I'm willing to keep asking questions. I'm willing to be open to what the options are to this question. I'm willing to compare your answers to other answers. Will you speak to me, to my mind and my heart? May for others, you want it to be true. And you say, God, I want that forgiveness. I want the hope that this world will be fixed by you. I believe that you died and rose. And I'm trusting you to restore me and to restore those I love. Commission me to do your works to those who are hurting in the world today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us for Kids Ask the Darnest Questions, week two. More questions coming in. We're going to collect your questions. Drew will answer one next week, then Ryan the next week, and I'll answer some more in that week. I'll be building an entire series. So thank you for being here. We'll see you all next week.